All right, good morning, ladies. It's so good to see everybody's smiling faces and amazing sweaters. So fun, so fun. Okay, well, we are right in the middle of the holiday season, so I thought it would be fun to open by sharing some Christmas statistics with you. Um, I thought these were interesting. It's always interesting to kind of hear what other people do. So Americans are going to spend an average of $886 on Christmas gifts. Women spend 20 hours on average shopping for Christmas presents. So I was like, "Mm, I wonder what everybody in here would say, more or less. 20% of holiday shoppers get their shopping inspiration from Instagram. Uh, Parents plan to spend an average of $276 per child when it comes to Christmas gifts. 65% of Americans will send Christmas cards this year, which we were just talking about that, and I would like to make a confession. I, well, I won't say how old I am, but I'm old, and I still have never given out Christmas cards at Christmas. So you know what? If you haven't either, you can just join the club, because... Some of us just can't do one more thing. Uh, The number one Christmas tradition reported by 97% of observers was exchanging gifts. Uh, But the statistic that was really sad to me was that only 51% of Americans considered Christmas to be a religious holiday. And so that number, it it was disappointing to me, but sadly, that was my experience of Christmas growing up. Um, And maybe it was yours too. And it could be that it still is. But, and that's what I want to chat about today. But before we do, if you would join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today, God. I thank you for each lady here. And I know it's such a busy time of year. And I know that every woman here representing many, many families has a lot of things going through her mind right now, um, a lot of to-do lists, a lot of burdens. And so I pray that you would help us to just lay those aside for a few minutes and just be able to enjoy fellowship and time thinking about you and why we celebrate this season. Lord, we love you so much and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, one quick note for those listening to the recording online, I will mention sensitive content regarding Santa if your children are listening with you. So (laughs) I don't want to ruin things for anyone. So, uh, well, I suppose some would not uh, observe Christmas as a religious holiday. I I did want to spend time encouraging each of you to do the opposite and to strive to keep Christ the focus of Christmas. Um, For many, it can be hard to even think of Uh, anything other than Christ at Christmas. But as I mentioned, that isn't always the case. And for myself, as someone who was not raised, learning about Jesus in my home, and I didn't become a Christian until I was an adult, memories of Christmas were not revolved around Christ. We did Santa. And the excitement of the season was about family, food, and gifts from Santa for me when I was a kid. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time this morning (laughs) trying to convince you as a mom whether or not you should do the whole Santa thing. Uh, That is totally for your family to decide. The only reason I had to bring it up was to kind of help you understand uh, my childhood and and why we do what we do now. But I also don't want to spend a lot of time defending celebrating Christmas at all, as I have a lot of people that I dearly love who have the conviction that Jesus might not have technically been born on December 25th, and so they won't observe the holiday. And I have people who believe that it has pagan roots that are affiliated with the holidays and will not celebrate it. So 
time could be given to all those types of conversations. But for today, I want to share just the ways my family has chosen to celebrate Christmas on December 25th, focusing on Christ, and by default, not doing Santa. But Santa can be fun. I love fun. But I have found that there really are a lot of fun um, thing, fun, a lot of fun that can be had at Christmas time by focusing on Christ alone and not having to incorporate a lot of the secular Santa stuff. Um, and for me personally, there were two main issues that put pause to the whole Santa tradition. Um, first, the deception of just teaching my children something that isn't true. I remember as a child when I found out that Santa wasn't real, it was really crushing. Uh, wow, my parents have lied to me my whole life. Okay. And as someone who greatly desires for my children just to have full faith and confidence in what I teach them about God, I didn't want to compromise their trust um, in what I might teach them. Secondly, the concept of just good behavior being what, you know, earning gifts and Santa always watching, which is a quality of God alone, is the only one who sees and knows all things. It, it just didn't set well with me. And the essence of the gospel uh, is being that no matter how good I behave or how badly I fall short, it doesn't determine God's love for me um, based off my behavior. His love is a result of his character and the salvation he has provided in Christ's substitution on the cross. So just to put it shortly, from my experience as a child and experience with Santa in our home, uh, Santa is like a fun seasonal character. So like Frosty the Snowman, um, Rudolph, Mickey Mouse, and we, we do read books about, and I have some out here of about the real account of the real person of Saint Nick. That is really interesting to learn about that. Um, but overall, is, our goal is to keep Christ the focus at Christmas, and I just I pray that each of you can land on a clear conviction in your home of just what you want that to look like. So with that said, the encouragement I want to offer of keeping Christ the focus at Christmas, I want to do th three things. First, I want to give you the reason we should keep Christ the focus. Um, two, the realistic, practical ways of keeping Christ the focus. And three, the result of keeping Christ the focus. So the first reason. Uh, all of you here are moms, and without a doubt, I know whether you are simple in your celebrations or extravagant um, in planning many details, it is a joy to you to celebrate the birth of your child. And the day they were born is a day that you're just ever so thankful for, and we're celebrating every single year. And if that love for your child stirs that much celebratory joy in your heart, how much more should the most important holiday the most important event, um, the most important birthday um, in all of history, stir our hearts. Um, now, it is clear in Scripture that Jesus has always eternally existed. He is God in the flesh, and according to Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him. John 1.1 tells us he was in the beginning and is both God and the Word. And again, in Colossians 2.9, we are told... In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Yet, miraculously, at Christmas, we celebrate when the divine took on flesh. And born into human form, Jesus as God came and dwelled among men. And that is what the word Emmanuel means. So when we hear that verse or sing that word at Christmas, we can remember God with us. Uh, the reason we celebrate is because this is the most monumental birthday in all of history. The very person we have centered our entire historical calendar around, referencing events as either B.C. or A.D., 
was born in a manger exactly how God foretold he would? The reason we celebrate Christmas and keep Christ the focus is because contrary to many false religions, Christianity holds a very special, unique quality. It is the only religion where God proclaimed hundreds of years in advance what he was going to do and then fulfilled it. And I have a hand, I have a lot of handouts. Um, I'm a resource person, but on one of those, um, it lists of many verses in the Old Testament that give specific qualities of the coming Messiah. Um, it, the family he would come from, the town he would be born in, events that would take place around him. He would come from the tribe of Judah. He would be born to a virgin in Bethlehem, called Emmanuel, out of Egypt. The list goes on and on. And anyone can make predictions. That happens all the time. But having these prophecies fulfilled is totally different. And the more statements made and the more specific details, well, then the odds of that fulfillment are even more unlikely. But this is what the prophet Micah did 700 years before Christ's birth. And we could go beyond that. We could talk about the prophecy and prediction of the exact way this Messiah Christ would die all fulfilled prophecy completely but for today we're going to focus just on his birth so the likelihood of someone foretelling the specific date of the appearance of an important figure hundreds of years in advance you can't do that yet that's exactly what daniel did 530 years before christ was born so just to get nerdy for a minute, the science of probability <laughs> attempts to determine the chance that a given event will occur. And a professor at Westmont College has calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies made concerning the Messiah. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes representing some 600 university students. And the students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, and examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to fulfill a particular prophecy. And they made their estimates conservative enough so that there was finally unanimous agreement even among the most skeptical students. However, the professor then took the estimates and made them even more conservative, and he also encouraged other skeptics or scientists to make their own estimates to see if his conclusions were more than fair. So, after examining only eight, just eight different prophecies, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. So if you're a visual person like me, which I am, it's like, oh wow, that's a lot. That's 17 zeros. Woo! That's a big number. So one, one in that. Um, so just to illustrate how large that is, uh, the professor gave this illustration. You know, if you were to mark like one of 10 tickets and place them in a hat, stir them all up, and ask a blindfolded man to draw one out, his chance of getting the right ticket would be one in 10, right? Well, suppose we take our 10 to the 17th power, we take that many silver dollars and we lay them all on the face of Texas. That would make them two feet deep. That's how many silver coins we're talking about. And you mark one of those silver dollars and stir them up and lay them all out, blindfold a man, tell him he can travel as far as he wish, but he needs to pick the one silver dollar that has a mark on it. What chance would he have in getting the right one? 
just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man. That's just eight, just eight prophecies. Um, it, it really is mind-blowing. And can you imagine the odds if the hundreds of fulfilled prophecies of Christ were considered? I mean, we're only thinking about eight of them. Fulfilled prophecy is a fascinating aspect of history to study. And speaking of history, it's intriguing how we go through history classes and history books, and we learn about historical figures like Cicero and Cleopatra and Julius Caesar and all these different historical figures. And we often are really quick to just accept history lessons about such figures as truth. We're just like, oh, it's true. I learned a history class. And we never question it. Yet, when you read the nativity story in the Bible, in the book of Luke chapter 2, uh, we're told that Caesar Augustus is the one who ordered the census that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. But did you know that Caesar Augustus, also known as Gaius Octavius, was actually the nephew, adopted son, and handpicked successor of Julius Caesar? The Bible is real history before our very eyes, and when you start to make that connection, you see how true it is. So the reason we celebrate, this isn't made up. It's not make-believe tradition. These are true facts from history. The God of the universe told us all the way back in the beginning of the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, that he was going to send a Savior. Right in the very beginning, their hope, their victory, their salvation was coming from their offspring. In fact, it says it was going to come from her seed. And we all know the basics of biology, and that it's not the woman that has the seed. It's the man. And that phrasing was foretelling. It was prophetic. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, where all hope looked lost to sin, God promised he would come in the flesh through a miraculous birth, being born to a virgin, impregnated not by an earthly father, but rather by the Holy Spirit. He'd enter the world clothed in flesh, both fully human and fully God. And there's no re greater reason than this, than to celebrate the birthday of the most important person in all of human history. So now for the second part. Um, the real practical ways to keep Christ the focus this Christmas. I brought some of my things. <laughs> I was really excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you will, you know, I hope you guys can look through some of this stuff. I always like to look through things and get ideas. But I wanted to preface this section by saying the things I'm about to share, the books, ideas, all of these things I have on the table, all of it, I want you to view as a buffet. And I don't know if you see the resource list. It's also very thorough. Um, and so I want you to view that also as a buffet. You do not go to a buffet and eat every food item you see. You can't. And you can't look at this I list of ideas and suggestions and do them all. Um, these are things I've incorporated from over a decade of time. And I don't do all these things every year. Maybe you pick one and do one. Um, in fact, some of the things on the handouts were new things that I found that I wanted to share with you that I hadn't tried yet. So I'll just briefly share some of my favorite traditions, but you can look at that handout and get tons, and I can email it to, to you if you'd like, because if I email it to you, you can just click on those links that I shared. It makes it even easier. Um, and I share all of this with the understanding also that this room is filled with many different types of moms. Some moms love traditions and the extras, and some don't. 
and that's not your style and that's okay the last thing I want for anyone to walk away from this is feeling discouraged that's not the point and don't let the enemy lie to you you can keep it simple and the point is to equip you not make you feel defeated so um, just to briefly share some of my favorite things one thing that you can go home and do Every year, costs zero dollars, super simple, is to just read a chapter from the book of Luke every day in the month of December leading up to Christmas. It's simple, not time-consuming, and purely focused on God's word. It's a great Advent activity. And for anyone who may not know uh, what the word Advent means, it's Latin for coming. And we just use it to refer to the time in December where we anticipate the coming of Christ. Uh, speaking of Advent, an easy and affordable tradition is using an Advent wreath. Um, most of the stuff I have I made because we just don't have a lot of extra money to make to buy really uh, cool ones. And so um, the ones I have used are very frugal. So I have the one up here with just the five candles. Um, but the one with the whole bunch of candles, um, I saw on Instagram, you know, I was talking about inspiration on Instagram. I saw on Instagram this really pretty spiral advent, and I didn't have the money to get it. So my daughter and I made it out of um, salt dough, which anybody can make salt dough. And so we made that little um, advent where you light a candle every day. But you can also do the advent where you just light one every Sunday leading up to Christmas with the five candles. Um, Another year we read through uh, Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, this one, and there's a free printable of ornaments online. I think the ones they colored are on the table. Um, and another alternative to that would be, um, if you didn't even you know, have the book or want to get the book, making a paper chain, writing the names of God um, on the paper chain and just hanging the paper chain somewhere. Um, there are so many, if you just Google stuff, ideas that you can find. Two of my favorite books, um, one is Unwrapping the Greatest Gift by Ann Voskamp. I love this one. She's really wordy, so it just kind of depends on your personality, but I love it. And I found printable online um, Jesse tree ornaments, and we made that Jesse tree. <laughs> I had a piece, I found that piece of wood in our basement, and I was like, oh, okay. So we made that <laughs> Jesse tree, but you could use branches that you find outside to make that. Um, and then another one that I really, really love, and these are all on your sheet, but it's called Come Let Us Adore Him by Melody Carlson. I love uh, reading this one leading up to Christmas. Um, and for those of you who may not know what a Jesse tree is, it's another Advent activity that is named after Jesse, who was the father of King David in the Old Testament, referring to the prophecy in Isaiah 11 that was foretelling the coming of the Messiah. It's like that... Um, genealogy, uh, the family tree of Jesus. Um, we read books that teach us about the real person of St. Nick. I have a couple books of those. Um, another book that is one of my favorites <clears throat> is called The Sparkle Box, and it tells the story of a boy um, and his excitement for getting gifts at Christmas, but his family ends up doing things for those less fortunate and in need, and he begins to understand like the, the meaning of giving at Christmas. And in the back, well, I have this silver box that I already have, but the book actually comes, you can pull this little silver box out. And so as you do different things, um, acts of kindness, which I also gave you a sheet of ideas for acts of kindness, um, 
you can write them down and you put them in the box and then on Christmas morning you can open it with your kids and that's kind of like here's our gift to God you know the thing not the you know it's a fun way to look back over the Advent season and see ways you have um, served and loved on others and it, it just helps you take the focus off your kids wanting to get more and focus on giving um, to go along with that my kids really love to be silly and so do I and so we don't do elf on the shelf since we don't do the whole Santa thing but several years ago I found this adorable little elf and so each morning of Advent that I remember I hide him <laughs> and I put a little note that ha assigns them an act of kindness to do so that's what that sheet is is some of the things we do and so they love getting up and looking for the elf and then they'll be like I don't see the elf today, Mom. And I'm like, well, uh, Mommy forgot. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but I try to incorporate a, lot of, incorporate a lot of the things that we would already be doing. So, like, if, we, if I know we're going to go Christmas caroling on whatever day, I, that day is going to be, like, show kindness and love to others by going to the nursing home. And, you know, so if you already have things you're going to do, it makes it a lot easier to incorporate all of that. Um, but that's something just fun that they really enjoy, um, and that's what we tie. Those are the things that we tie in to that, the sparkle box things that we do. Um, for those with older kids, a great resource is Lee Strobel's Case for Christmas, um, and I've listed those books and a video on there. Another one that I really, really love for olders um, is called The Star of Bethlehem. I think we actually have the DVD in the chapel library, but I linked the YouTube video on your sheet. Um, and it is so good because it gives an explanation of what was happening in the stars when Christ was born, when he was crucified. It will blow your mind. It is so good, so good to watch every year. Uh, another fun tradition for the whole family would be to bake a birthday cake for Jesus. You could use red velvet cake representing the blood shed for our sins, and the icing could be white representing that we've been washed white as snow. I love uh, author and speaker Sally Clarkson. I have her book somewhere. And she had a sweet tradition idea for Christmas Eve or really any evening leading up to Christmas. Um, share a shepherd's meal by turning out all the lights and having a simple meal like the shepherds would maybe have, like a simple soup, nuts, fruit, bread, and talk about what it must have been like that special night when they received the announcement from the angels about the birth of Jesus. I thought that was such a fun idea. Um, Seeds of Worship has a really great Christmas CD, and you can find it on YouTube, the songs, because they're all scripture from the Nativity Story. Um, even when, with your littles, you can act out the Nativity Story and have so much fun with that, or you can pull out uh, a little Nativity set. Um, they have the ones for little kids that actually, if you ever, I, this is a plug, for, I've already mentioned this place several times, but the Safe House for Women thrift store is awesome. I got that one for a couple dollars. I mean, if you can't afford a really fancy nativity set, you can, you can print them online or you can find really affordable ones. Um, and that is fun to use with your kids too, to talk about the story. My favorite Christmas devotion, just for me, um, well, actually I've been reading it with my teenager too, but... Um, is called Come Let Us Adore Him by Paul Tripp. I have one to give away, so. Um, and for littles, I really always enjoyed, um, all the time, but using for Advent, too, is the Jesus Storybook Bible. It has printables for the Jesse tree ornaments, and I'll have one of these to give out, too. It's really, really good, because it just ties Jesus into the whole, um, from beginning to end. Okay, so some, those are some of the real practical ways to keep Christ in Christmas.
Now, part three. We've talked about the reason to keep Christ in Christmas, the real practical ways to keep Christ in Christmas, and I just wanted to close in talking about the result of keeping Christ in Christmas. And not just in Christmas, but in keeping Christ the focus in our lives day in and day out. I know, without a doubt, that someone sitting here this morning has some heavy burdens on their heart and mind. Some of you may be facing Christmas this year without someone you love dearly. You've had to say goodbye, and the empty chair at your holiday table feels too much to bear. And some of you are walking through this Advent season, maybe in a marriage that isn't just unfulfilling, but tumultuous. It's painful, and you don't know how you might endure one more day of it. Some of you may be battling such crippling anxiety and depression that just thinking of having to celebrate a holiday brings tears to your eyes. Or maybe you're a mom who is battling such challenging health issues that you aren't sure you can muster the strength and energy to get through tomorrow, let alone Christmas. Or maybe you're the mom sitting here with such financial strain going on that you don't even know how you're going to afford gifts for your kids this Christmas. Broken relationships, disappointing circumstances, pain and hurt that you never anticipated, and you've thought to yourself, this isn't what I had planned. This isn't how I pictured my life turning out. This isn't fair, and why would God allow it? Well, as we talk about the nativity story, I want us to glean from someone we may be able to relate to, a mother, Jesus's mother, Mary, I love thinking about her ex- what her experience must have been like. And I know that we may be quick uh, to glamorize people in the Bible, but I pray today that we can think of Mary in a biblical way. The reality is Mary was just as human as you and I, both in weakness and in sin. The Bible is clear according to Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in fact, in Mary's song in Luke 1.47, she responds by saying, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary knew she needed a Savior, for every sinner needs a Savior. And the Bible tells us clearly that there is only one human who had no sin, and that was Jesus, according to 1 John 3, 5. So, moms, think about the plans that you have made in your life, both in the past and the present. Mary was a young girl engaged to Joseph to be married, and the excitement and the anticipation she must have had for her upcoming marriage had to have been palpable. It's what every young girl had dreamt for and planned for. And yet, here's where things get come to a screeching halt. The angel tells her she will give birth to the Messiah, and her first response in Luke 129, it tells us that she was greatly troubled. The angel startled her. But just a few verses later, she responds that she is the Lord's servant, and may God's will be done. And just like us, Mary battled varying emotions. One moment troubled and fearful, the next choosing to trust the Lord. But for a second, try to insert yourself into her time and culture. She was engaged, which during her time meant more than it does today. Vows were made. Commitment to marriage was already there, and now pregnant and her fiance was not the father she lived in a time when she could have been killed for what appeared to be adultery 
she faced stoning. As much joy and hope that she could, that could come from God's exciting news, reality, it quickly set in of the hardship she faced. Potential death, abandonment by Joseph, whom she loved, the responsibility of birthing, caring for, and raising the Son of God, the reality of her family potentially calling her a liar and ostracizing her. Does it get any more overwhelming and scarier than that? So if you're sitting here today thinking, no, you just don't get it. What I have to deal with, what I have to do, what I have to face, it's too overwhelming and scary. I can't do it. Well, then you're in good company. Mary was in the same place. She wouldn't be able to do it either. None of us can. But we know and serve a God who brings us to the unsurpassable Red Seas. He brings us to the walls of Jericho. He has us stand at the edge of the deep and swift Jordan River. He puts us in the lion's dens where there appears no escape. And he has us breathe in the reality that what I am facing, it is impossible in human effort. He shows us the impossible intentionally so that he can take us by the hand and lead us through so that we can echo what the angel told Mary that night so long ago. Nothing is impossible with God, according to Luke 137. So how can we respond to the hard that we might be facing? Grumble, cry, become bitter? No. As Mary did, God wants our response to be worship. Mary dispelled the fear she had with praise. We see in Luke 1 in Mary's song where she sang out her praises to God, putting her trust in him. Not a trust that he may make things change and go away and be the way she wanted, but sang a song of praise to God for who he is, his mercy, and that she would trust him to take her by the hand and carry her through the impossible. That's the result of making Christ the focus of Christmas and in our lives. And as you trust him in the impossible, just as Mary did, I want to offer one more encouragement. He doesn't call you to do it alone. What did Mary do when she heard this overwhelming news? Immediately after getting the news from the angel, Luke 139 tells us she hurried somewhere very quickly. Do you know where? She went to Elizabeth a relative, and a friend who was also experiencing her own miraculous birth story of John the Baptist. There is something very powerful in the friendship, encouragement, and comfort a companion of a companion who is experiencing similar seasons and trials. Mary immediately went to Elizabeth, and that is why I love ministries like Mom to Mom. You have sitting around you women who are walking similar stories. Even if you look at each other and think their life is it's good. They don't have the kind of problems I have. It's not true. We all do. We all have similar stories. And despite many possible differences, as Mary and Elizabeth, they were not even close in age. They had a lot of things they could consider different. The encouragement and comfort that comes from relationships with other moms and women is so powerful, it can help us walk through even the most terrifying circumstances. So who is your Elizabeth? Don't go at it alone. Trust God and grab hold of one of the many shoulders here at mom to mom to lean your head upon this Christmas season. Christ is real. He is faithful, and he is worth celebrating. Thank you.